Good morning, Parkway Church. How you doing? Good. So glad you guys are here with us. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And it's my privilege today to open God's word with you and to learn together as we continue our journey through scripture this year. Before I jump into today's talk, I do have an important update on our church family. And whether you're gathered at Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, Parkway Online, or Parkway Victoria, this is exciting news for all of us. In Port Lavaca, since Harvey hit, we've been meeting not at the Bauer Community Center, which became like a science experiment, but instead we've been meeting at the Safety Council of the Texas Midcoast. And Joni has opened her building and her team has been phenomenal in our time there. But we affectionately call that, that worship at the DMV because what we're meeting at is, a, is an industrial place where they do training and we're meeting in their lobby. There's high counters. I mean, right now, if you're in Port Lavaca, we're so glad you're there. But, but let's just say we could do better and we hope to do better real soon. We've entered into a partnership with the Grace Chapel in Port Lavaca. And we're going to start meeting at the Grace Chapel on Sundays. And if you're in Port Lavaca, you know where the Grace Chapel is. It's, it's on Austin Street. And you're like, Mike, I think you're talking about a funeral home. I think you're right. But, but here's what we love about the Grace Chapel. We love that the Grace Chapel is within the city limits of Port Lavaca. We love that the Grace Chapel has space for our children and for our students to have space set up for them 24-7, no setup and tear down for kids. We love that the Grace Chapel is, is, is big enough that we could worship in one service and grow in Port Lavaca. We're excited that in Port Lavaca, everybody knows where the Grace Chapel is. In fact, they've been dying for years to get there. <laughs> That's just bad, isn't it? That's just bad. I had to say it because you were thinking it. And once we got over the fact that we'll be worshiping in a place where lives are remembered, we looked and said, this makes the most sense as we continue to take a step towards a permanent location at 87 and 35. This makes the best sense. So in the coming weeks, we've got a couple hurdles to get across with the city. We've got a little bit of work to do, but we hope to be announcing our move-in date real soon for Parkway at the Grace Chapel in Port Lavaca. And so we're going to pray because we really do need some doors to open and we need to get some answers on just a couple of things so that we can move forward quickly. So we're going to pause now and we're going to pray and then I'll jump into today's talk. Father, we thank you for the chance to trust you and to follow you. And Lord, I thank you that when the storm hit, you didn't stop working in Port Lavaca and that you've worked through our church and through other churches to meet the needs of people in that community. And Lord, I thank you that you gave us the safety council to meet. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, open the door for us to move to the Grace Chapel on Sundays. Lord, open the door so that we can uh, have a place to worship together and invite folks to, Lord, and, and help us to, to be a church that continues to make a difference in that community. And may this move be a part of that. And Lord, I pray that you give us uh, the permissions we need from the city and from others that have an opinion on our use, Lord. Help us to get in and help us to get in quickly, God. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Parkway Port Lavaca, y'all keep praying for our next step into the Grace Chapel because we are truly excited about the difference we can make together in Port Lavaca from that location. So 
with that, I'm excited now to step into our teaching for this next new series. As you know, this year, our plan has been simple. We are teaching through the Bible one chunk of scripture at a time. We're teaching through the Bible one section, getting to know the major players and the storylines, seeing the theological threads that run throughout the Bible. We started in the book of Genesis. Let's catch up to where we are today. We started in the book of Genesis and said, this is where it all began with God's creation. And then man spoiled it with sin. And yet God shows us yet again as Abraham and God set apart his people with a loving covenant. And then in the book of Exodus, God's people are in captivity for 400 years. They cry out to God and he liberates them. He frees them with a stuttering spokesperson named Moses. And he frees them through miracles like parting of the Red Sea. Then we look at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You know, my joke is Leviticus is where all the good Bible reading plans come to die. Like you start out strong with Genesis and Exodus and God is winning. And then you get to Leviticus and you're like, what's up with all this law? What's up with all these rules? Well, the book of Leviticus is there to remind us that God is holy and we can be too. And God calls us to be holy as he is holy But that's impossible without his grace and without a sacrifice being made. And we look back as New Testament Christians and say, Jesus is the sacrifice that makes us right with God, the only sacrifice. And we can be holy because God gave his son for us. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We see how God was leading his people as they wandered through the wilderness. The book of Numbers has not one but two census where they count God's people and God talks to them about how they can serve him with their hands and how they can follow him as they wander in the wilderness. And then we get to the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy is a beautiful book. It's, it's the second law where God, again, tells us, here's how you can live in relationship with me. When Jesus says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's quoting the book of Deuteronomy. And we learn how we can love God through the book of Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What's next, y'all? Joshua, thank you. Somebody's still paying attention. That's good. Thought it might be a really long wait. Somebody text him. Book of Joshua. We step into the promised land. Moses dies and God appoints a new leader, Joshua. And Joshua leads God's people into the promised land. And they begin to conquer the promised land, not by their own might and not by their own power, but by the power of the Lord. And then we see how God's people settle the promised land. And we enter into the book of Judges. And we see through the book of Judges how God has given his people leaders. They are deliverers. Some are strong deliverers like Samson. Some are wise deliverers. Some are godly. Some are not. But God puts judges in place to lead his people to be his voice, to be his his deliverance and power among them, he gives judges. And then we saw the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is written in the time of the judges, and it shows how God cares for his people and how God puts his plan in place despite the evil in the world around us. And then now we step into the next section of books. There's about to be a big shift in the Bible. And it's important for us to understand this shift because it's, it's what we're talking about today. We're moving from a period where there were judges, God's appointed people leading, 
to now there are going to be kings in leadership. So as we look at this series, Kings and Kingdoms, and we study 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and 1 Kings and 2 Kings, we're going to see a shift in how God deals with his people and how his people deal with him. And there's some very important lessons for us to learn, especially in regard to who's on the throne of our lives. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ, there's only room for one person on the throne of your life, and that's God. And we're going to see today, as we get to know a major player in the Bible named Samuel, that the people of God chose a substitute king instead of following the king of kings. They chose a substitute king instead of following the perfect king who they had when they were in captivity. The perfect king they had when they were in the wilderness. The perfect king they had when they were conquering land. The perfect king they had with the judges leading. That king being God. But the people of God made a different decision. Made a decision to step out of that into something different. And we're going to learn from it today. So if you brought your Bible, open up with you to 1 Samuel chapter 3. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, we get to know this man named Samuel. And Samuel, his name means heard from God. Literally, that's what his name means. I love that because like Samuel shows up in the room. Hey, heard from God's here. Hey, heard from God's on his way. Hey, heard from God's about to talk. Do you think everybody got quiet when heard from God started to speak? Yes. <laughs> my name is Michael, which means one who is like God. Why are y'all laughing? I just, I make that clear because I, I just want you to know that, that, that Samuel had a unique role in the people of God's life. He heard from God and spoke for God. My, my job as your pastor is to not share what I've heard from God, but to share what God has shown all of us in the Bible. My job as your pastor is to be like Christ, right? But Samuel had a really unique role. And so if, as you understand that role of prophet and leader and, and all that he did with, his, with God's people, uh, it is a powerful, powerful role. And listen to how God described Samuel as he was growing up. 1 Samuel chapter 3, 19 through 21. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. So Samuel would serve as a prophet, which is a spokesperson for God in the Old Testament. He would, he would serve as a leader of God's people. He would be their judge, almost like God's representative before them. And, and listen to how it worked out. 1 Samuel 7, 15 through 17. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on circuit from Bethel to Gogal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places, like a county judge might have done in the past with a circuit court traveling from court to court to court. This is what Samuel did. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. There he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar of the Lord there. What I, what I love about Samuel 
is every time you hear the story of Samuel, it talks about him going and doing something. It always mentions that he goes home. Like, I don't know if he was a homeboy or something, but he was all, like, he would go do his business. He would go judge the people. He would go speak for God, and then he'd head home. I just, you're going to see that. That's Bible humor, which means you don't laugh at it, but I do. That's Bible humor. You're going to see that again and again and again in the story, and you'll be like, oh, that is kind of funny. Just not funny right now. So he served God like this all the days of his life. And as he got older, the question became, who's going to lead after Samuel? Because the expectation was God's going to give us a new judge. The expectation was God's going to give us a new prophet, a new spokesperson, a new leader. So how does it play out? Now we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8, 1 through 3. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn I haven't been able to say firstborn all day. It's been firstborn all day. So let's just read that together. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel. And the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So what was Samuel's plan for succession? Who would lead Israel next? Well, my sons. But the problem is this. They weren't godly like their dad. They turned away for dishonest gain. They perverted justice. They accepted bribes. They weren't godly like dad. And so trouble would arise in the kingdom. And before I move on to that trouble, let me just comment here. Samuel, by all records, was a godly man. He was faithful in what his job was. He went home after work, so he spent time with the family. He was, by all measures, a good man, a godly man. And yet he had two ungodly kids. And I just remind myself of that in the story of Scripture. I know that kids are responsible for their own decisions. And parents are responsible for raising their kid up in a way that will honor the Lord. Kids are responsible for who they are and what they do. And parents are responsible for how we invest our lives in and how we pour our lives into our kids. If Samuel could have ungodly kids, do you think you and I could have ungodly kids? Absolutely. And so I just encourage you to be that kind of person that's godly first. And trust God with your kids. And trust God with how you're raising your kids and the decisions your kids will make when they're making their own decisions. Trust God. But if you're in a season or in a segment of life right now where you're godly and your kids aren't so much, oh, don't give up on your godliness now, friend. Don't give up on your godliness now. You keep praying. You keep investing. You keep sharing. You keep loving. Because your kid matters to God. And godly parents, maybe just maybe, that's why God gave you an ungodly kid. So you could pray, and you could love, and they could learn from your devotion now in this moment. Maybe just maybe, your prayer and your devotion is what they need right now. So let's move forward. So Samuel's kids, 
They are ungodly, Samuel's kids. They have turned aside after dishonest gain. They've accepted bribes. They perverted justice. Everything they're supposed to be doing, they're not doing. And so what happens next? 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 5. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. That's his hometown. And you gotta, you gotta imagine this. All the elders, all the leaders of God's people come together and they travel. And they come to Samuel's hometown. And I'm sure there was a, a level of excitement with Samuel. Hey, what are you guys doing here? What's up? Hey, good to see you. Didn't know we had a meeting scheduled. My our watch must be out of sync. And, and here's what they say. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Now, how would you like that? If a group of people you respect, if a group of people you know, if a group of people you've led with all your life and most of their lives, if they showed up at your front door, they said, we got a message for you. You're old and your kids are losers. Can I hear that again? You're old and your kids are losers. Now appoint for us a king. So in this moment, the people of Israel, they are choosing a king who is a man instead of following the king of kings, instead of following God. This is the choice they're making. God had set them apart to be different and to function differently than all other nations. And yet they look around at the other countries. They're feeling their, they're, they're, they're feeling their opponents squeeze in and they say, he's old. They can't be trusted. Give us a king like all these other nations have. See, they choose a substitute king. And God warns them through Samuel against this. But they choose a substitute king nonetheless. 1 Samuel 8, 6 through 9. Listen to this. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Samuel was hurt by their request for a king. God was offended. Samuel was displeased. God was jealous. Samuel was hurt. God was pained. Because the people were choosing a king instead of following God. They weren't rejecting Samuel. They were rejecting God. And as we look at who has the throne or the, the, the place of leadership in our life, believer in Jesus Christ, can I make it crystal clear here? This is between you and God and no one else. They've rejected me as their king. And, and God said, there's nothing new for these people. As they have done from the day that I bought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, that, and let them know that what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. God says to Samuel, listen to them, because they're set in their ways. They've done this over and over again. Listen to them, but then solemnly warn them. Tell them what will happen to them because the king who 
takes leadership will claim them as his. They will no longer be people who are valued. They'll be possessions of a king. They will no longer, like the best interest at heart of the people. No, no, no. No more will they be led like that. They will be led with the king's best interest at heart. Things are going to change. So warn the people. Whoever they give leadership of their life to, they will be theirs. Say, Mike, that seems pretty extreme language. Warn them solemnly that their king will claim them as his. I mean, look at our world. You realize that you have to get a permit to have a garage sale in your own garage to sell your own stuff? That's the government claiming its rights, right? Do you, do you realize that when we follow any man or any woman or any system or any ology or any religion that's outside of God and his perfection, whatever we follow claims us. Whoever we follow claims us. Whatever we align our hearts and our lives with claims us. And yet we see people choosing, we see it in 1 Samuel, and we see it in our own lives, people choosing a substitute king. And so today my, my simple question for you is this. With integrity before God right now, who's the king of your life? Believer in Jesus Christ, with integrity before God, who is your king? Have you settled for a substitute king instead of following the one who rules the kings and the kingdoms? Have you settled for a substitute king instead of following the one who has your best interests at heart? Have you followed a substitute king instead of following the one who can define what is right and wrong and moral? Have you chosen a substitute king? I see people do it in a couple of ways. First way is this. I see people choose a substitute king through the failings of man. And here's what I mean by that. I see people choose themselves as king of their own lives. You put yourself, you put your wants, your needs, your desires on the throne of your life. Who's the king of you? Well, I'm the king of me. Who's in charge of you? Well, I'm in charge of me. Here's, here's the problem with that. You have just become slave to your own failing. You have just become slave to your own sin. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been freed from that sin. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are no longer slave to sin. But when you put yourself as king or queen or prince or princess or duke or duchess of your own life, you have chosen a substitute for God. And may it be crystal clear from this passage, it is him and no one else that we've rejected. It is him and no one else that's jealous for that role in our life. It's him and no one else. Listen to what Galatians 6, 7 says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And the reason... So Samuel solemnly warned the people. And the reason that I do so as well today is because if you put yourself as king, 
You will reap what you sow. That's an ag- agricultural picture. It's, the idea is this. Like if I sow corn, I'm not going to reap jalapenos, right? So many of us would never plant corn and expect to eat peppers. But in our life, we do. We sow discord and we expect peace in our relationships. We sow this, this out-of-control lifestyle and expect to have self-control in areas that matter. We sow, 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 and then we reap, 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 and we wonder why. Why am I reaping what I'm reaping without ever seeing that I'm sowing the wrong things because I've put myself as the king of my life? The, the second way that people choose a substitute king is through the fear of man. You can fill in that blank. That's a part of what the Israelites were dealing with is they looked at Samuel and his age and his kids and fear of their oppressors coming. They were scared. And I see people choose substitute kings all the time out of the fear of man. I realize God's word says that I should do this, but if I do that, I might get fired. Fear of man. I realize that God's word speaks to, to marriage and the value of marriage and living together, but, but if I value that, I might lose her fear of man. I, I realize anytime you put the opinion of man above the word of God, you are in a fear of man issue. You have put not yourself on the throne, but you've put whoever that person is on the throne. That person that you're willing to, to look the other way and reject, not a rule, not a command, not a custom, but instead to reject God himself, that person is on the throne of your life. And I get it. When we put other people on the throne of our life, we experience anxiety and worry, fear, frustration. I get it. In fact, in those seasons, whenever I experience that myself, I've got to ask the hard question. Mike, are you trusting God? Or are you scared of people? Mike, are you trusting God? Or are you fearful of the consequences of you truly following him with everything you've got? See, any time that I allow the opinion of someone else to go above the opinion of God expressed in his word, I've allowed my fear of them to win. And now I'm slave to what? I'm slave to fear. Friends, whoever you make king of your life will claim you as his or her rights. So that's why today I invite you to not settle for a substitute king, but instead to drive that stake in the ground one more time, believer in Jesus Christ where you say, I will not settle for being the king of my life. Jesus is the Lord. I will not settle for allowing anyone else to be my leader. God is in charge of my life. I will fear him and I will serve him only because he is the only king worth following. When, when we get this right, when we get this right, 
we start seeing things change because we start sowing godliness. And when you sow godliness, what do you reap? Godliness. When you sow godliness, what do you reap? Godliness. When we get this right and we put God on the throne and we put others in their proper place, things start working. No longer is fear of man a snare that will trap us, but instead our confidence in God frees us to honor him and to do what's right before him first and foremost. So friends, ring it. Let it ring through your ear one more time. Why settle for a substitute king when you can follow the one true king? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance to open your word and to share today. God, I pray you'd help us all to choose you as our king. Lord, may we as believers in Jesus Christ make that decision one more time to say you are in charge, God. I will choose no substitute king. Whether it's what I want or what I fear, I will not choose either. I choose you. Church family, as you pray, maybe you need to think through certain areas where fear has gripped you. Maybe you need to think through certain areas where you have ignored God's word and you know it. And you need to confess that as sin. Repent. Commit to follow him as the king of your life. If you've never believed in Jesus, your step isn't to commit. Your step is to believe. The Bible says that Jesus is Savior and Lord, and he died on the cross for us. They buried him in a tomb, and three days later, he rose again from the dead. And he invites you to believe and to find life today. There's no other way to God. If today's your day to believe, let's mark it with a prayer you can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life. 